0: To turn with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read the end of verse 2 through verse 10 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2, all the way through verse 10. As you're turning, I heard of a recent Kentucky meteorologist giving the forecast, but he left the word showers out. And he said, there's a 10% chance of today and tomorrow. (laughs) Pretty grim times, don't you think? And yet, as we read this passage in front of us, the more I've thought about it, the more I have been flabbergasted. Paul writes to a church in Ephesus, where they were the minority, when they were persecuted, when the world was a much more brutal place than we live in Today. And yet, Paul has the gall to write, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Just as much as a weather forecaster rang the alarm bells, the alarm bells were ringing for Paul, and he said it is possible to have a great gain in contentment. So we're going to pick that idea apart this morning in our Sermon in a Sentence. Our contentment isn't based on changing circumstances, but our contentment is based on the unchanging God. With that being said, let's pray and we'll read our text. Heavenly Father, many thoughts are buzzing through our minds right now, but I pray for the next 30 minutes that you would... Come and quiet our souls like a weaned child with its mother. That we may listen to the words you would have us hear. And we would be nourished by the life that is in them. Father, I pray that you will give me the grace to speak with clarity. And give all of us the ears to hear and do all the things that you have asked of us. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we're going to start at the very end of chapter 2, verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who have a desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Thus ends the reading of the word this morning. You know, there was a man who had two sons. One stayed home and worked hard. The other traveled abroad after a life of luxury. One spent his money on Carhartt work gear. The other spent his money on Coors Light. One stayed at home with his high school sweetheart. The other knew 15 different women. One of them ate crow. One of them wind up eating pig slop. What is the common denominator between these two sons? Both of them sought contentment in changing circumstances, not in the unchanging love of their father. And many of us may find ourselves on one side of that brother or another that as we survey the world today and we survey our own hearts, that we have sought contentment in many things. A new job, a promotion, a bigger paycheck, a new gun, one, two, or ten more books. All of us have sought contentment in the wrong place. And many Christians today look just as discontent as the world around us because we have failed to seek contentment and the unchanging God. And that's the issue that I want to bridge today that we must not base our contentment on changing circumstances, but we must base our contentment on the unchanging God. So we're going to bridge this in three questions How's the world to contentment? How does Paul define contentment? And how in the world are we to be content this morning? Let's take up this idea, How's the world define contentment? Well, you don't have to look around very hard. You can't spell contentment without me. And that's how the world defines contentment. It revolves around me. The world defines contentment based on their wrong belief. How many times do they, but the world communicate the idea that the mystery of godliness is me? That everything in this world should cater to me? That God lives to satisfy my longings and the desires of my heart. When this is what we operate on, it's just a hop, lips, leap, skip, and a jump before we will take and deprive others, so that I am taken care of. A coworker of mine recently ran into a woman in Kroger on Tuesday, and she was bragging. She bought all the alcohol and aloe vera out of Bass Pro Shop so she could make her own hand sanitizer. And she was bragging, not because of how smart she was, but because she thought she found for herself a sense of security, a sense of safety, a sense of contentment. We will lie, cheat, steal, and kill. We will deprive people of others if we believe contentment revolves around me. And I think we're seeing this more and more today. We see this in the Bible. You look in the Bible and you see during the times of Saul and David, they're walking through the streets and they sing, oh, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. Saul couldn't be content with the victories for Israel Because contentment revolved around me. And well, we all know what Saul tried to do to David after that. I read of even a company that was picketing a machine supply company, and yet the people doing the picketing were being picketed by other picketers because they did not buy their pickets from a union endorsed company. You see, at that point, it's not about principle, it's about me. When you define contentment around me, you're going to end up in some strange places. And we see this also because not only do we define contentment by wrong belief, but we define contentment by wrong desire. You see, I love deodorant commercials. You see this guy, he's got a dad bod, and he puts on a slap of deodorant, and he jumps into the pool, and it's a well-manicured pool, and there's... Women in bikinis around and they're cheering for him. What did you learn about the deodorant? Absolutely nothing. What that commercial is telling you is, man, you don't have a pool and people aren't cheering for you like that. Your life must stink. But people who wear that deodorant, their life doesn't stink. You see, advertisement, advertisements will spend millions of dollars and millions of hours to convince us That we are not content because they know that if they change our desires, that we will change our shopping habits. When we live with the motto now, I shop, therefore I am. We have a bulging debt crisis because we live in a world constantly changing the definition of contentment. And our credit cards are trying to keep up. See, when I was growing up, I'm sure many of you watched it. Y'all watched DuckTales with Scrooge McDuck? Do y'all remember Scrooge McDuck? He went on a daily swim in his money. But think about what he had to do to get there. He went through like retina scans, laser beams, vault doors. Were those things there to protect his money? Or were those things there to protect him? They were there to protect him to protect his conscience because he was being impelled by the fear that someone may take his money. That was always his gimmick, wasn't it? And we have seen in our lives millions of men who have swam in success and drowned in despair. They have swam in success and drowned in despair. So I ask, are we being defined by the world's idea of contentment. I've actually been a little tickled. Two weeks ago, we had a bustling economy. We had presidential candidates talking about Medicare for all and free tuition. We had a record-low unemployment. And in a moment, it's gone. Then we've had record advances in medical care. And in a moment... It's gone. Safety is a seductive thing. And safety is a very seductive alternative for contentment. And each of us in this room, myself included, have been slowly seduced by this sense of safety and contentment. We have spent our lives chasing the greener grass on the other side of the fence. And we've been left with a higher water bill. And we see it in how ghibli we come to worship, how prayers and devotions with our family just seem to lack the luster they used to have. Moses talks about this in Deuteronomy, if I may paraphrase. When you get fat and sassy, you will forget the God who has redeemed you. Are our hearts contented in Christ this morning, or have we been cauterized by the world? Today, we have a wake-up call to seek contentment not in our changing circumstances, but instead to seek contentment in the God who does not change. So how does Paul define this kind of contentment this morning? Well, he says it's just audacious verse in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And he will go on and he will anchor that contentment with two unchangeable points, our life and our birth and our death. It's almost like the man, I think MJ told me this story. It's like the man he was super rich and he said, when I die, I want to be buried with all my money. And when he passed away, a woman come up to the widow and she said, did you do it? And she said, oh, you know I did. I wrote a check. We can't take it with us, can we? Job highlights this. He says the poor will eat at tables with kings because death takes everything from us. And so this beckons the question, what are we to do with our stuff in the meantime? John Stott says that possessions are the traveling luggage of time not the stuff of eternity, that it would be sensible for us to travel light. They're the luggage of time, but not the stuff of eternity, that we should travel light. Paul says that all things should be made holy by word and prayer, but what we have does not always equal what we need. I don't know if y'all have set outside, I mean, we don't have anywhere else to go, You sit outside, and have you heard all the beautiful birds singing? We've been amazed at the cardinals that come every morning and every evening, and the cowbirds that eat all the food from everything else, but they have the most beautiful sound. Or the mockingbirds in the nest in that holly bush. That's just a warning for everyone here. But it makes the most beautiful sound. Why? It's it's an old song. It says they sing because they're happy. They sing because they're free. They're singing because God's eye is on the sparrow. Jesus says they, have, they don't have food they store in barns. They don't, they're not running to Kroger to get bottles of water. But yet they sing because they trust in God to provide for them. In the same way, when we travel light and trust in God's provisions, we are free from anxiety, from burdens, from cares and despairs. That we can travel light because we have an unshakable contentment this morning. So not only does contentment require perspective, but it requires godliness. Not only does it require perspective, but it requires godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is nothing more than the fear of the Lord. It's a reverence and a trust and a satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And we have so many reasons to be satisfied this morning. I love in Paul, he says that we were once strangers to the covenants of promise. That we had no hope and no God in this world. Think about those words. No promise, no hope, no God in this world. Many around the country are losing their jobs right now. I'm sure each of us in here has lost at least one job. Do you remember that feeling when today might be your last day? Do you remember how hard it is to put one foot in front of the other and actually get something done? It's hard to function, much less be content, when you have a dark cloud hanging over your head. But the mystery of godliness has been revealed in Jesus Christ. That because of him, we are fellow heirs in the promise. That we have a great hope. That we have been reconciled to God. That through his body and his blood and his cross, we have a fearless access to the unchanging God of heaven and earth who kills and makes alive, who raises up kings and disposes them as he wishes, that because of this work of Christ, we have access to a great promise, a great hope, and a great God. If we are going to have an unshakable contentment this morning, it begins with this unshakable assurance I don't know if y'all remember the old Superman movies. But I remember one where he saves a man from a burning building. He, He goes and he swoops him up in his arms and flies off in the air. And the guy, like any rational human being, looks down and says, Whew! That's a long way down. And he's sweating a little bit. And Superman says, Look. If I just saved you from a burning building, do you think I'm going to drop you before you get to safety? If I've saved you from this burning building, am I going to drop you on the way? And we have the same thing. We have been saved from the wrath of God. We have been saved from the hellfire. Is God going to drop us along the way? Is he going to? Do we have any reason not to have contentment this morning? Our contentment does not begin with our sufficiency but our contentment rests in Christ's sufficiency. That we ebb and we flow and our life seems to fade away. As MJ said this morning, sometimes we feel like a washed up dish rag. But Christ is unchanging, eternal and glorious, and he has promised to care us. That's a great promise. If we're gonna have contentment this morning, it, it is based on that. But let's ask a question: What does that look like tomorrow? What does that look like tomorrow? I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, and I work for a non-profit. I cannot tell you what tomorrow will bring. It seems like every time I look at my phone, there's a new update and something changes. And as we speak, God is shaking the heavens and the earth. This COVID-19 is moving through our communities like an invisible infantry, plundering everything that we have. Our comforts, our company, and even our contentment. We don't see smoking and burning buildings like in Syria, but I promise you, talk to any human being today and you will see a bruised and battered heart. What remains of the world's contentment when God finishes shaking the heavens and the earth? Had a friend get stopped in Kroger, a man was buying all the milk in Kroger so he could gouge the prices at his gas station. Other people are waiting hours before the store opens just to get one pack of toilet paper. Why? Because they have no contentment. The foundations of their lives have been shaken, and they're trying to stabilize it with quick cash and toilet paper. We must not seek contentment in this world we'd have a better chance of finding hand sanitizer than contentment out there. Their contentment doesn't last. Is it really contentment at this point? And yet, as I look around the room, as I've talked to everyone here on the phone in some way, as I've talked to people that's come through campus, we're worried. Some of us here are pretty brave and we're not worried about the actual coronavirus. But we're worried. What if something happens to my spouse? Will I be able to get medical attention? Five million people are supposed to lose their jobs. What if that's me? What if that's my children? What if my kid's college gets derailed because of whatever is going on? How long will this last? We're worried. But let me paraphrase for you the end of Habakkuk. Habakkuk In my version, a paraphrase says this, though the pear trees do not blossom, though I have no tomatoes on my wife's vine, though my 401k shrivels up and the stock market does nothing, though I be cut off from the world and there be no food in my pantry, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take hope in the God of my salvation. Our contentment does not depend on the changing circumstances of this world, but our contentment depends on the unchanging love of Jesus Christ. Each night, after everybody's gonna sleep, mind you, I like to sing, abide with me. And I love the second verse. He says, change and decay All around I see. O Thou who changes not, abide with me. Oh, that's such a beautiful hymn. The unchanging God who predestined us from before the foundation of the world, who has saved us in time, will keep us for an eternity in the future. And we know this because of Jesus Christ, that He sent His Son into a world of pure pandemonium. That the God of all joy bore our sorrows. That the God of life was pierced for our transgressions and wounded for our healing. That we, he was grieved, afflicted, and crushed so that we would not be. And he did not endure this for nothing. But he endured that for his bride. He endured that for you. He endured that for me. So that neither sickness or health Life or death, things to come, will not separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. So i read to you the last words of Richard Baxter, who said, Be sure you choose God as your portion, heaven for your home, God's glory for your end, and his word for your rule. Then you need never fear, but we shall meet in comfort. Is God your portion this morning? There's many things going around in this world that give us reason for alarm. But Martin Luther says that the sea of God's mercy swallows up all of our affliction. If I get this ball of water and throw it on the floor, it'll make a huge mess, won't it? But if I throw it in the Mississippi River, you won't even see it. In the same way, we have many things to worry But our portion is greater than all. Is heaven your home and God's glory your end? The same spirit that abided with Christ in his sufferings is the same spirit that will abide in us and he will keep our eyes fixed on Christ. For where he is, so is our hope. Where he is, so is our inheritance. And where he is, so is our contentment. With that being said, we're going to do something a little different for my conclusion. I have a book I've read 15 times this year, and I want to read it now. For what I have found in life is that all of us go through trials and suffering, but if you believe in Jesus Christ, we have the same promise, the same hope, And the same God, and he will sustain us all. So I'm going to read a small children's book, a little out of the ordinary. If you're in the back and you can't see, we're Presbyterian. You can move up front. It's okay. I'll read loudly. It's called, The Moon is Always Round. I want you to remember that. The moon is always round. He says... When I look up on a sunny day, the sky is blue and bright, and jet planes paint white lines on its canvas. When I look up on a stormy day, the sky is gray and dull, and clouds pour rain and flash and boom with lightning and thunder. When I look up on a summer's evening, the sky is red and orange and purpley pink, And the sky looks like it's falling, the sun looks like it's falling from the sky on fire. And when I look upon the clear night, the sky is dark, and the stars twinkle and sparkle like diamonds. But the moon isn't always round. Dad said, the moon is always round, even when you cannot see all of it. When dad told me I was getting a little sister, the moon looked like a banana. But dad said, the moon is always round. When the crib was put together, the moon looked like a slice of apple. But dad said, the moon is always round. When mommy's tummy began to look like a watermelon, The moon looked like a shriveled orange but dad said the moon is always round even when i was told that my little sister wasn't coming home with us after all dad said the moon is always round when my parents left in the middle of the night for the hospital and the next morning i went off to preschool i thought Will the moon be round tonight? Dad said, The moon is always round. When I waited at the hospital to meet my little sister, and we left without her, I asked, Why, Dad? And he replied, I don't know why, but the moon is always round. When we got home from the hospital, I looked for the moon before bed, and it was a half moon. But dad said, the moon is always round. And when it was just the three of us, and we went to the church to say goodbye, my dad asked me, what shape is the moon? I said, the moon is always And Dad said, what does that mean? I said, God is always good. We have some very changing circumstances right now. Much like the moon, it's always changing. I cannot tell you what tomorrow holds, but I can tell you The moon is always round. And that we must base our contentment not on the shade of the moon, but on the shape of the moon. Not on the circumstances that change, but on the unchanging God. That is where our contentment lies this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We come to you this morning with heavy hearts looking for peace. And you said that even in perilous times, there is contentment with godliness. There is a great gain in this life. Father, I pray that you would strengthen each of us in this congregation to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, our source of life and hope and joy and peace, in all times, that we would enjoy all the wonderful benefits that we have gained through him, that he has lavished on us in the beloved. Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing one last.